Thank you again so much, guys. Um, if you will, open your Bible to Matthew, second chapter. We're going to read a very familiar passage that many of us read, see, hear about over this holiday season. Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Love this story. Many of us know it. You've probably heard it many times growing up. The story of the wise men. But today I don't want to start with the wise men. I want to have a different look at this very familiar story. Actually, I want to start with Herod. And I want to talk about Herod. Not a very popular guy. Uh, Just the name of Herod makes me think of, you know, evil and cunning. I mean, you can look through Scripture, and there are names in the Bible that kind of stuck with us. As in, you know, people name their children Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, even Paul and Peter. Herod is a name that really didn't, you know, stick around. I mean, you don't see anybody naming their kids Herod, and, and rightly so. He was evil. I mean, we didn't read this, but afterwards, he got so angry, he killed all the the babies in in Bethlehem. Herod just brings up images of evil, bad. But the hard, the sad fact is that there is a little bit of Herod in each of us. Hopefully not a lot, but there is some of Herod in each person. Keep that thought in your mind. We are celebrating the Advent season here at Bellwether. And we're doing so, we're talking about an Advent conspiracy. And that is, how would you live if you knew for a fact that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, was returning to this world, to this earth, on Christmas Day? If you knew that you only had, I guess it's, it's like three weeks, right? Three weeks until Christ would return. How would you live? What would you say? What would you give? 
I believe if we live like that, it would totally change our entire lives. Completely. We would give differently. We would ask for different things. We would know, hey, Christ is coming. I don't have the rest of my life. We would say different things. We would try to reconcile with other people. We would love more. We would give more. We would talk more. We would talk in a different way. It, it would just totally change our lives. So I hope, I hope and pray that you will live out this Advent season like that. I am trying to do my best to do so, but I tell you, it is so hard because when you really, we say it and we say, you know, we believe it, hey, Christ is coming again. But then when it gets down to it, you know, we're so ingrained in how we live. I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough gear to, to change. So today, and actually the next couple Sundays, let me say this. I am preaching, I am preaching out as if Christ is coming Christmas Day. So if you sense like an urgency or just, you know, a determination, and I don't know, maybe, maybe you'll sense that every Sunday, I hope so. But I am preaching as if Christ is coming Christmas Day, as if I only have three more Sundays and Christmas Eve to give you a message, to share the gospel, to share good news. I'm preaching that way, okay, guys? And secondly, I'm preaching, and I hope and pray that you will find peace in your life. We talked about peace in the family time, the Advent candle. I want you to know real peace, not a fake peace, a false peace, a real peace from Christ, okay? And the only way you can know that, the only way you can have peace in your heart is if Christ is in your heart. And if you are living for him, if he, if he is ruler of your life, only Christ. Now, what's interesting, though, is if we say Christ, we want him to be ruler of our lives. But Christ doesn't necessarily come at you in a peaceful way, okay? Here's what I'm saying. The way Christ comes to you initially, starting with, it's not peace at all. The Prince of Peace does not initially bring peace. Here's what I mean. When the gospel is proclaimed, there is tension. There is trouble. Verse 3 in that passage, it says, Herod and all Jerusalem were troubled when they heard that a new king had been born. There's tension. There's trouble. There is a perceived threat a perceived threat Jesus was born okay we know angels we know shepherds we know wise men that came to bring gifts but there was tension in that Herod the king felt so threatened that he went and he murdered all these babies I mean it's it's something we kind of skip over but that is what happened immediately after Jesus was born so you had yes the angels singing hallelujah and everything and then you had these babies slaughtered There's some tension there you go on with Jesus' life, the life of Christ. Yes, there were miracles. Yes, there was healings. Yes, people were experiencing new life in Christ. But there was this tension and this trouble and a threat that Pharisees and the leaders didn't like Jesus. They felt this trouble. They felt this tension. They felt this threat. So much so, they had Christ killed. People who met Jesus, people who came into contact with Jesus throughout his life, they didn't just meet Jesus and be like, oh man, you know, I'm giving my life, I've got this peace. No, if you look at the people that came into contact with Jesus, they felt tension, they felt trouble, they felt a threat. Story about Nicodemus. Nicodemus, he felt tension, he was a leader. And then Jesus said, he said how, do I, how do I enter my mother's womb? How do, I, how do I be Baptist? How do I do all this, Jesus? There was a tension there. The rich man, the young rich ruler, he says, what must I do? Jesus says, 
give all you have to the poor. He walked away. There was tension. There was a threat there. Even Pontius Pilate, he didn't come to know Jesus. His wife said, I've had these dreams. I feel this trouble. Pilate felt this tension and this trouble. He said, I'm going to wash my hands of this. He did not choose to accept Jesus. He couldn't get past the tension. He couldn't get past the trouble. Even Paul, St. Paul, great Paul, when the, the church was forming, there was this tension in him. There was this, man, this is trouble. This is a threat. He even killed Christians. He had them brought into prison. He had them, he had them killed. It was a threat to him. Ultimately, he converted. But the life of Christ, when you come into contact with Christ, when you're presented with the gospel, it doesn't immediately come at you as peace. It comes at you, there's a tension, there's a threat, there's trouble. Even so much in our culture today, in our society today, if you truly proclaim the gospel of Christ, there is going to be tension. Because, see, we live in a culture, we live in a society where everything is equal and we don't want to offend anybody. And, you know, everybody's good and I guess everybody's kind of going to heaven and all this. But when you proclaim the gospel and when you proclaim Christ, you can't get past what he says. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that is going to bring trouble to some folks when they hear it. And actually, if you get down to it, probably one of the reasons we don't like witness enough or share enough or proclaim our faith enough to those who don't know it or to those who don't have a church home is that we know there's going to be tension when we get down and dirty into it. When we proclaim Christ, when we proclaim him as truth, and then if there's someone else who doesn't know him and we try to share, I mean, you, you know it, you may have felt it. There's this, there's this tension. You feel this internal struggle with relationships, maybe family members. And then for you, like you personally, Christ doesn't immediately come at you peacefully. Christ comes and there's tension in your heart. Man, there's kind of a little trouble here. It's a threat to how you live. And the reason why is, I mean, you just can't get past it. If we proclaim the gospel, Christ wants to rule your life. He wants to be ruler of all our lives. And our, our nature, our very being, rebels against that because we want to rule. We want to be king. And Christ comes in and says, no, I rule. I drive. I make the decisions. You follow me. And so we can either live with that tension or we can rebel against that threat against Christ and say, man, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Or we can straddle a fence. Or ultimately, we can give ourselves fully and say, man, I want the peace that you bring. Nothing else in life can bring me that peace except Christ. And you bring him fully into your heart and your life. That's what I hope that we all do. Because the fact of the matter is, Christ is going to reign. He is reigning now. He will come again. He, he wins. I mean, look at this. We just read the passage about how Herod was cunning and crafty and how, okay, there's a king that's coming. I, I've got to do something. I've got to keep my rule. I've got to keep my power. And he did everything that he could. He had all Jerusalem with him. He had power. He had money. And you have this helpless little baby, okay? Christ is a helpless baby. And he's born to two 
people who have no position, who have no power, who have no money, and it's this dark stable on Christmas Eve night, and it's, they're probably young, they're probably teenagers. And yet they win over Herod. Ultimately, everything Herod does, all the going around and the manipulations and trying to take him out to keep his rule, this little baby, helpless, can't do anything, and his two parents, poor, powerless, ultimately, ultimately, they will win. So my, my point is, we can't stop Christ. We can't, like, he's going to rule. He's going to reign. He's going to win. He's going to keep pushing into your life. You can't stop him. You can reject him. You can walk away. But what I want for us, what I implore of you is, you know, the saying, man, if you can't beat them, join them. Join them fully. Join him fully. That's why this passage is, is so important for us. Um, because it does tell the story of the wise men, but it tells something more. It tells us the choices, it shows us the choices that we can make to what rules our life. To what or who is the ruler of our life. I want to pick up again. There are three types of people that are presented in this brief story. The first is Herod. Look at what Herod does. He says again, Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was, he was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. He gathered together all the chief priests and the scribes. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. He was king. He ruled. And then someone came in and said, there's going to be another king. He's going to be greater than you. He's going to be more powerful than you. So he started doing everything he could to take out that king and to hold on to his reign, to hold on to his rule, to hold on to his power goes on it said verse 7 Herod secretly called the magi determined from them the exact time the star appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem and said go and search for the child and when you have found him report to me so that I too may come and worship him I mean he lied he lied he's trying to do everything that he could to keep his reign nothing is gonna come before Herod and see there's there's one type of person I said we all have a little bit of Herod in us, but there's one type that, man, come you know what or high water, they are going to rule. They are going to reign. They are going to be driving their car. Actually, if you want to use the metaphor of a car, it's they are the car. They are the boss. They're going to continue to build their kingdom. They're going to continue to build their dynasty. And they might just use the church in the process. And they might just look like a good Christian. But inside, they will always reign. They will always rule. No matter how much Christ tries to invade their life, they're resisting. It's a threat. They rule. I hope you're not like that person. Hope you're not. Hope you're not that person. But they are out there. The Herods of the world still exist, and more than a few of them are in our churches. There's another type of person, and that's the person that's really missed in this whole passage, this whole story. It's the priest. It's the scribe. So look again. Verse 4, Herod says, He gathers all the chief priests and the scribes, and he inquires of them, Where was the Messiah to be born? And they said, In Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what has been written by the prophet. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
See, the priests and the scribes are those folks who, they know God. They've got a history and tradition. I mean, they, they know God. And guess what? They know God's word. When people of power ask, hey, what does it say? They could quote clearly the word of God. But their allegiance is still not totally to the Messiah. Their allegiance is still to maybe people in power, maybe authority, maybe the way their life or their position, what it's given them. See, these priests and scribes, they, they know God, they know God's word, and, you know, you would think that they would be rushing to Bethlehem because all this prophecy is coming together, but hey, they have positions of power, they have positions of authority in Jerusalem, they pretty much answer to Herod, although they wouldn't say they do, they would say that they're their own, you know, priest, pastor, whatever, but really they want to stay in good favor with him. So they're going to tell him what he wants to hear, they're going to do what he wants to say, and they're pretty much, well, not pretty much, they're, they're straddling this fence. And that is like, that can be like so many of us. We can be the priests and the scribes. See, we know God, and maybe we've been raised with him. Maybe we've gone to church. Maybe we've gone to Sunday school. Maybe we can quote scripture. Maybe someone asks us a scripture passage, and we can just, you know, just flutter it out. Verses, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs. But is our primary allegiance, is our primary ruler, Christ. It's kind of like this. These folks, the priests and the scribes, they say they want Christ to be the ruler of their life. They say he is the ruler, but guess what? He's really a slave. He's really a slave to their rule. If you think into the metaphor of a car, these folks are still driving the car. They know Christ, and he's in the back seat or in the trunk. And if there's a breakdown, if the car breaks down, or, or if there's a problem, hey, they'll, they'll stop, pull out, Hey, Jesus, what do I do now? What do I say now? But Christ is really a slave for their own ends and for their own ambitions and for their own allegiances and position and power. And then so many of us can fall into that where we know him, but we keep him where we want to. We keep him in our box. We keep him in our trunk. Or we keep him for, I don't know, one, one day out of the week or, or two hours out of one day of the week. But we still rule our life. Our allegiance is elsewhere. Then there's another type of person that's in this passage. And that's the one that we know most about. That's the one that we see in nativity scenes and so forth. It's, it's the wise men. But I want you to see how the wise men lived in this passage. It says, After hearing the king, the wise men went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. For the Magi, for the wise men, Christ, the Christ child, the true Prince of Peace, was the ruler of their lives now get this and and you might like this i mean they they were wise men i mean they were they were smart it's they weren't like the shepherds they were they were wise men and some of us who say man if i had a choice to be a shepherd or a wise man i'd take a wise man you know i mean they gave gold frankincense and myrrh they also obviously had means but christ still ruled their life they knew that no matter how much knowledge they had 
no, much how, no, much, no matter how much wealth they had, that those things would not give them peace. Only the Christ child would. So what did they do? They saw this star and they rejoiced exceedingly. They saw a light that would lead them to Christ. And for us, if Jesus rules our life, are we looking for lights that will lead us to Christ? That may be in a church or in a worship service or in a person or in a small group or in a book or in a study. Are we looking for lights that can lead us more to the Christ child? And then they came to worship him. That's a, that's a very key, key sentence right there, to worship him. They didn't come to like talk to Mary and Joseph. They didn't come to discuss the prophecy or anything like that. They came to worship Christ. They gave him gifts. When Christ rules our life, when we are here, when we come into the church doors, we're here to worship. When we hear this, this magnificent music, we're here. It's a worship experience. We want to give ourselves to Christ. And then one other thing they did, and this is kind of a hard truth, but it's very real. It's very legit. God told them, don't go back to Herod. They went another way. When Christ is ruler of our lives, God may tell us, don't go back to Herod. I, listen, I want everybody to be saved. I believe God wants everybody to be saved. I want everyone to have Christ as ruler of their life. I want everyone to know the peace of Christ. But guess what? Not everybody will. Not everybody does. The hard, the, the sad fact is that there are Herods in the Bible. Herod died. I mean, so for all intents, for, it, it, Scripture doesn't say, hey, he came to know Christ. All he says was, you know, he pretty much wanted to kill Christ. And in doing so, he had this plan, and then Herod died. Not everybody's going to come to know Christ. And God told these wise men, do not go back to Herod. You know, I mean, do you ever think about that? I mean, they saw the Christ child. Just think about how, how powerful of a witness they could have been. Just, just think, imagine the sermon they could have preached to Herod. And God said, don't go back. His heart's not going to change. It's going to stay hard. He's going to continue to resist. He's going to continue to rebel. Sometimes, guys, if Christ is rule of our life, God may speak in our life and say, man, we may need some different relationships that edify, that build up. We still love people. We love everybody. We want them to be saved. But there are some folks that will always resist. When the gospel is proclaimed, not everybody's going to see it as peace. Some people may always see it as trouble. Some people may always see it as a threat. But when Christ rules our life, we look for a light that will lead us to him. When Christ is rule of our life, we come to worship. When Christ rules our life, we seek out relationships that will build up. We love, we pray for everybody. Everybody. We want everybody to be saved. We seek out people that will build us up. We seek out lights. Lights that will lead us to the Christ child. So those are three types of people. There are three types of people in our world. There are three types of people in our churches. The Herods who, man, they consistently rebel. They are a ruler, and they're always going to rule. The priests and the scribes who know the word, who know God, but they keep Jesus in the trunk of their car, and they'll pull him out when they need him. And then there are those who have seen and discovered that nothing else on earth can bring us peace like Christ. Not money, not relationships, not status, not even in the holiday season and nutcracker and all this. Man, I love all this. 
but it can't bring us the peace that the Christ child can. And so, yes, we'll feel the tension, and yes, we'll feel the trouble, and we'll feel the threat. We have to come to a point where we realize, man, it's really not a threat. There's going to be peace in my life through Christ. And there may be turmoil everywhere else in relationships, in the world around us. But we can be centered on Christ and have this inner peace. We're about to close, and I want to say this, that when the gospel is proclaimed, and we do everything in our our humble power here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, when the gospel is proclaimed, it provokes a response. I mean, there's no neutrality. Again, I talked about that when you saw Jesus' life. I mean, he, he wasn't, everybody just didn't think he was a nice guy. He was either Lord and Savior, or they wanted to kill him. When the church was started and was growing, it wasn't, man, these are just nice, good Christians. They were either devoted and building churches, or they were like part of the Roman Empire, and they were like, man, let's martyr these guys and get rid of them. I mean, there's no, there's no even kill, just nice any nice any nice It provokes a response. So I believe, well, one, I believe the Holy Spirit is here. And I believe if you came through these doors and your heart is open, and I pray that it is, that you're being convicted right now in some way. Because when the gospel is proclaimed, there will be a response. You will respond in some way. One way you can respond is just to say, man, that dude's nuts. I mean, it is. you may feel this tension. You may feel this trouble. You may feel this, this threat. And you say, man, I, I really don't want anything to do with this. I like my life, I like my car. I am the car. I'm going to go as fast as I want to go. I'm going to do what I want to do. That is your choice. And, you know, the, these aren't my words. These are God's words. I am the messenger, but sometimes, you know, you could say, man, I you may totally reject the message and the messenger. I can live with that. You may respond in that way. You may respond, and I've heard this over and over from folks, talking to them, you know, like Monday morning quarterback or, or whatever. You may say, man, I hear what you're saying. I got to do that. I got to, that's, that's how I want to be. But I know this is the way I want to live. You're right, man. I should do that. But I still want to go this way. And you may respond. You may go to lunch, wherever it is, like, man, that's what I need to do. But, and you can still pull Jesus out of your trunk when you need him or you can respond in another way and that is everything that you've searched for in your life be it people be it a job be it means be it a lifestyle as good as it can be it can't bring you the peace that Christ can and yes you can hear the gospel whether it's from me or a church or another church or a book or a study And it can feel threatening. It can feel like trouble. It can feel tension. But you have this opportunity today. You have this opportunity, this wonderful, blessed season that we celebrate his birth. To say, nothing is going to bring me peace except the Prince of Peace. And yes, it feels convicting. It feels troubling. I mean, trust me, I know that feeling. But you can say it's really not a threat. Because Christ loves you. He came to live and die for you. He came so that you would have life, life in abundance. He came so that no matter what you're going through, be it depression or addiction or prison 
or broken relationships, be it in marriage or friendships, he came so there would be light in the world. I pray that you don't reject that message. I pray that you will not see him as a threat, but see him as life. See him as peace. He is coming. He is coming soon. That is what his word says. I believe his word. I am living as if he's coming on Christmas. I hope you'll do the same. I hope you will make him this season, at least in the next three weeks, to say, I want to give this, I just want to give this a try, that Christ is ruler of my life. The Christmas season is not ruler of my life. My job's not ruler of my life. Relationships aren't ruler. I am not ruler of my life. Christ is. And I'll try to learn as much as I can about it. I'll try to live in his word. I'll try to do what he says for three weeks until Christmas. And I'll let him be ruler of my life. Then I believe, I don't think, I don't, it's no might. I believe if you do that, man, he will just radically change your life. And you will find true peace, the peace of Christ. He is coming. He is coming soon. Won't you let him be ruler of your life? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we're here and we're not just simply celebrating the, the Christmas season, but we are celebrating the Christ child and then the man that he became who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And dear Lord, there's so many of us, there's so many of us that have searched for peace and long for peace in our life. I pray that all of us would know that that would come through the Christ child. I pray that we would know that that would come seeking lights that would lead to him, coming before him and worshiping him with everything we have, with just reckless abandon. I know you will change our lives if we do that. I pray that the responses that happen today would be a response that they want you to rule their life. I pray that we would realize it's not even our car, it's your car. And we are along for the ride. And we'll say, man, take us where you want us to go. In our marriages, in our families, this season, in our churches, in our jobs, in our job seeking, in everything. I pray that we would give it to you. I pray for all these gathered here, Lord. I thank you that they're here. Thank you that we can worship together. I pray for them wholeheartedly this Christmas season. Christmas sometimes cannot be easy. Sometimes we feel the least peace. I pray that the Prince of Peace would just invade this place, invade our hearts, that we'd have no other choice but to accept him into our life. In his name, amen. Guys, going to lead us in one closing song. You're welcome to come up here and pray. Our altars are actually not here, but that doesn't matter. If you want to come up before the throne of the Prince of Peace and pray. You may pray at your seats. But most of all, when we proclaim the gospel through music and through message, there is a response. There is something in you that is responding right now. And I pray that you will listen to the Holy Spirit and respond where Christ will rule your life. We're going to close today. We have a family joining our church family, John and Lee Waits. Guys, y'all would go ahead and come up. And I'd invite any friends, family, people in their B group that want to stand as we pray over them as they join. And as they're coming up, I want to highlight something else. Um, at each close of, of the service over Advent, we're going to give you opportunities to give 
outside, over and above your regular giving during this season. And so today what I want to share is at our raised table, there are cards um, that you can take to donate a brick for houses that we're building in Honduras in memory of those that you remember and love this Christmas season. At our Christmas Eve service, their names will be on our program. So I encourage you to give um, to build these houses for people who don't have houses. It's a way to give, again, above and beyond this Christmas and also to remember those who are near and dear still to us. So I hope you'll do that. And John and Lee Waits, they are um, they're great friends. And I'm just, they've been coming, I guess, now about a year. And uh, guys, I'm thankful God led you, uh, all of you, into my family's life and uh, into our church family's life. So uh, with that, John, I know you wanted to share a brief word. Yeah, just, just real briefly, what I wanted to say is Lee and I have been married for 15 years, and uh, it's been wonderful. But about, I guess it was two years ago, we both knew that there was something missing in our lives. We had joined a church, and we were kind of just going through the motions. Um, you know, we'd go on Sunday, and we'd uh, enjoy ourselves, and, and then that would basically be it. And we realized that, that we were not putting God first in our lives. And so we made an effort to start visiting churches. And uh, John, he's been a friend of mine for a while now, and we started coming to Bellwether. We had several friends here. Uh, the Aldridges were instrumental in, in making us feel welcome, and we, we didn't stop at that. We knew that if we were going to join a church and put God first in our lives, that we wanted to get involved, and we did that by joining a small group, and it, it has been an absolute blessing in our lives. Um, the encouragement that we felt through that small group has just been phenomenal, and it really has changed our lives, and this is just another step where we want to be as a family, and we're just very, very thankful for this opportunity. Praise God. Thank you. And uh, let me just highlight that, too. I, I've known these guys for, uh, for several years, and just seeing them in the last year start coming to church and then getting more involved through a big group, John serving and helping lead on setup. Uh, it's just a blessing to our church, and... Uh, you guys know I love you. I'm just glad that uh, you'd be part of this church family. We're going to close now by praying for them. And would y'all just join me in standing? And uh, if y'all would like to, we're going to lay hands on them. Y'all can reach out your hand as we always do to be one body, the body of Christ. And then uh, the guys, Chris is going to take us home with sanctuary. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for John and Lee and their family, uh, just for leading them into my life and our friendship and uh, leading them now to, uh, to Bellwether and how they have grown here. I pray, dear Lord, for their marriage, for their children, that their family would just grow more and more in Christ at Bellwether, that they would be uh, a light to others who are seeking him, and, and that they would fully just give themselves over to let you rule their life. Dear Lord, thank you for this time that we can be one body in this Advent season. Pray over each of us as we go forth him to take a step more and more to letting Christ truly be the rule of our life. It is in his name we pray and we give you this day. Amen. Lord, prepare.